the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Chetetti. It is Monday, June 19th, a little late on this week's podcast with plenty of news, plenty of sports, and uh, some late night breaking news that I had to push things around for because the Phoenix Suns have unofficially acquired Bradley Bill from the Washington Wizards in exchange for, we believe, Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, and a slew of second round picks why they didn't have a first round pick they gave away the next four in kevin durant's deal and uh look if you're confused if you need to know how the money looks there's uh really only one place to go because i've heard a lot of uh negativity about this move i've heard a lot of misinformation surrounding this move from a financial standpoint uh that is not the case with keith smith's piece on spytrack.com which i've read now three times a, because it's great. B, because there are some information in there that has not been stated out loud. Not on the Twitter sphere, not on the uh, TV sphere. Uh, some interesting information, especially as, re- as regards to Chris Paul. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to it right now. Uh, we'll talk about Beal in a second. And then um, on the docket today, by the way. Who else? This is only step one. We know how the NBA offseason works. It's a marathon and it is a blockbuster blockbuster after blockbuster and i've got 10 more names that make sense to move this offseason and they're all superstars in their own you know their own particular right because of the accounting semantics of the nba and how this works and it's even becoming more stringent in this next cba iteration the salary matching the guarantee structure yada 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 there's a you know Four, paragraph, four paragraphs of legalese to get to, which I'm going to spare you from right now. But Keith breaks down the uh, dollars and cents here of how this trade has to work from Phoenix's standpoint and from Washington's standpoint. And the assumption is, because of the announcement time and because of where this is going, that this is actually a 2022-2023 trade. So all the finances work from last season, with the exception of one item. Chris Paul has a partial guarantee next season. That's been much discussed, right? Especially because the Phoenix Suns stated they were about to buy him out from that 15.8 million. Well, here we go. Now he's traded unofficially, but sounds like it's going to get done, of course. Because of that partial guarantee, and Keith has said this quite a bit, so please, at Keith Smith MBA on Twitter uh, to get this kind of information pretty much in real time because of that partial guarantee next year. Not only are we looking forward with Chris Paul, but Phoenix has to boost that guarantee just in order to make the math work for this trade. So that's what made this Paul trade so complicated for a lot of teams. And Washington just basically said, we're going to deal with this. So the 15.8 million of guarantee that was, you know, bought out and stretched at three and change per year over the next five years, all those things we, assumed were about to happen because Phoenix came out and said that. That number is now $25 million and change. Fully guaranteed for Chris Paul right now. Not June 28th when the full thing, you know, the full 30 locks in. $25 million at as soon as the trade is processed becomes guaranteed on Chris Paul's salary next season. That's just how this stuff works. So if you thought you had the uh, NBA trade stuff figured out, you're wrong because this is something new for me today. <laughs> All right. Uh, Spotrit.com has the full article. Keith breaks down not only all these crazy iterations and the numbers, but 
thoughts on what the Suns got here, thoughts on what the Wizards are doing here. Uh, and so it's just a really great breakdown, uh, again, for an unofficial thing that could turn into a four-team trade on July 2nd, for all we know. But for now, it's, an, it's a 2022 trade. And Chris Paul's guarantees have just increased about $10 million because of the accounting. So to me, that's the biggest takeaway from a money standpoint. Chris Paul boosted, which is going to make it harder to outright buy him out in Washington. Now, look, maybe Chris Paul takes less to go away just to get himself to the open market so he can sign with the Clippers or the Celtics, whoever the hell want him, the Heat. Possible. It's possible. He says, look, I'll take the 15 and I'll walk away right now. But contractually speaking, he's owed $25 million now per this move as soon as it becomes processed. All right, let's get the Bradley Beal. Heard a lot of bad. And he's been stuck in the mud for a bunch of years now. And, and the fact that Washington gave him the five for 250 was always going to be an eyebrow raiser. So here we are a year later, you know, they salvaged it for one season and they moved him out the door off the top. This is my one piece of analysis from Washington's standpoint who are clearly now trying to clear the decks. Why this year, <laughs> right? They had the ability to do this last season and they could have signed and trade Beal. They could have done a, a bunch of things and still gotten some kind of value. It's not like what they just got back. Chris Paul, Andy Shaman in a couple of seconds, you know, is, was worth the wait. Let's put it that way. They're doing right now what a lot of people thought they should have done last year. And why am I saying this? Because then you're at least in the, in the Victor Wembanyama conversation, which was one of the most prized possessions that the NBA has been handed since LeBron. You know, I don't think Zion counts for that anymore. It's been a while since we've had this kind of prospect, you know. And Washington just punted on that and became a play-in team, you know, essentially a 500 team. They weren't the worst team. I, they were watchable, you know. They, I, I thought some of the rookies stepped up nicely. Kuzma had a great year. Porzingis probably played himself into another multi-year contract, if not here, elsewhere. There's some pieces here, but those pieces could all have been gone. I mean, this could have been a complete fire sale last year, except for you had a GM and a coach that were, you know, that were essentially playing for their lives. Now the GM's gone, brand new administration, and here we are. Now they have to start over, and it's post-Wembenyana tank mode. That, that I don't get. That I don't get. Now look, nothing's for sure, but if you were at least considering ripping the Band-Aid off for your franchise, I think last summer would have been the time to do it. Certainly makes sense on paper. Um, but instead, they paid Bradley Bill $40 million, and now they've basically acquired the rights to begin that process of tanking and you know, streamlining less payments across the board. I assume Kyle Kuzma's on the block, but that could be a deadline move. I think Porzingis is still going to opt in and then see what he has next year, but that's risky now. Right, that's risky. There's not much protection protection on this offense to to make this team work. So yes, opting into forty million is good, sound business. But why not take less over multi year guarantee? You know, less per year, get yourself more total in a guarantee, and at least give yourself a chance to finish off a career. You know, with a su substantial contract, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else. So I. 
I think there's a lot more questions than we have answers right now for the Washington Wizards. But my biggest one will always be with this. Why now? Why now? We had years and years and years of Will Bradley Beal go. And nobody would have faulted them last year for, for saying, all right, it's time. We want, we want to have the best chance possible to be in the Victor conversation. And they didn't do it. And now here we are a year later, and they're doing the thing we, we thought they should have done. And I just think that's the wrong approach. And again, you had people trying to save their jobs. But you know what? Does going to the owner and saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to save you a bunch of money this year in hopes of starting over via the draft because we actually hit on a couple of picks. And if we get this guy, we're in. Like We're back in it with a young, cheap business model that should win a bunch of ball games, not only this year, but maybe you know substantial playoff games within three years, which is the, the track we've kind of seen here with the top draft picks. I think the owner would have been perfectly on board with that. And uh, again, not what happened. So to me, it's not about that this got done. It's the timing of when this got done. And uh, obviously the mechanics of it have their, their ups and downs. But here we are, Bradley Beals with the Suns. A lot of people are going to say this isn't a good fit. It's probably not. We, we haven't seen this kind of thing work too often. Can I tell you where it almost did work is Brooklyn. Now, that's one of the, you know, that's going to go down as one of the worst super team setups ever because of injuries, because of COVID and yada, yada. But if and when, uh, I do think that team would have outscored pretty much everybody it, it, it came in front of. And it would have been a very different conversation had they got to the finish line. And would that have set up more situations like this in the league? Maybe. Maybe. I think a lot of teams got scared off from the super team when Brooklyn phased out and fizzled out like they did. Now the super tax is here. And that's a whole different conversation. Um, if we're just talking money with the Suns, five players now basically under contract for next season. Aiton, Booker, Durant, Beal, campaign. Nearly $170 million of salary for the upcoming season. The Super Aches tax apron is 179.5. So they need to fill 10 roster spots, and they've got about $10 million to work with to not go over that apron. Even if they trade DeAndre Ayton, and I believe they will. Does that bring you back two players? You know, two players at 15 and change to sort of round out a little bit of depth, which they have absolutely none of right now? Sure, but again, if you're trading him to a team without cap space, and that's probably what's going to happen, it's going to be a salary matching situation, which means you're taking back about 30 and change, you know, just to get him out the door. And you're still going to be right up against him. That, 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 that's basically nine roster spots at between nine and 11 million of tax to work with. Or you're going over that tax, super tax apron, which I believe they will. And I believe they don't care because this is the all-in move. This is, I don't care about two years from now. We are going to win this year. And if it needs to gel, we're going to win next year. That's what this is about. And so many times we have bad teams for thinking about the future and not thinking about right now. And, you know, the days of eight-year building plans are over in all these sports. That's all we've talked about, right? Everything has become truncated and expedited. And the on-demand world is here. That is the generation we're living in. So should we really blame Phoenix for bringing in an aggressive owner who wants to make his mark, did so with Kevin Durant recklessly, I mean, gave up way too much, and now has done so again. 
but didn't really give up anything at this point in time, right? Just basically gave up whatever he needed to, whatever he wanted to, to get an expensive Bradley Beal indoor. He bought a contract today is what he did, all right? And he bought a player who can shoot the ball and probably can facilitate more than he was allowed to do so in Washington or was motivated to do so in Washington, maybe is the better approach. There's a defensive problem, but again, this is the Brooklyn model, something Kevin Durant's pretty freaking uh, accustomed to. They're going to outscore some, a hell of a lot of teams, certainly enough in the regular season to make a difference. Whether that works in the postseason, we haven't really seen that yet. You know, We haven't really seen a team go out there and do that yet. It generally turns to a more balanced approach in the postseason, but is that something the Phoenix Suns can address at the deadline? Sure. Why not? Why not? They have no first-round picks over the next, four, or next eight years, right? Every other year from 23 to 25 to 27 to 29. And assumingly, they have no second-round picks now staggered in between that. And that's how this is going to go down. Maybe a, a first pick, first-round pick swap in between there. But there's a, there's a lot of big, big power on this team right now. Certainly a lot of shooting power. Does Bradley Beal get reinvigorated from an efficiency standpoint because he's doing less? And is uh, every shot matters kind of thing? We'll be back in a mode. You know, it's a little bit like the Ray Allen discussion we had 20 years ago in Boston where it looked weird at the start. And then all of a sudden, he just sort of settled into that simple role. It wasn't about doing everything. It was about doing one thing really well. I think there are certain guys out there that are built for that. And by the way, I think Beal is that guy. I think when you ask him to do too much, it just explodes. It just explodes. I feel like the uh, C.J. McCollum was in that kind of world, right? And, and the second he got some guys who could actually play around him in the front court, not so much the back court. Obviously, Dame Lillard, Lillard was a hell of a player next to him. But you go to a team and you're asked to do everything, and that's just not who you are, you're going to become exposed. And for a long time, Bradley Beal was... It was wished upon him that he was doing everything for that team. You know, John Wall's injury. There's so many things that torpedoed that franchise. I think the role is going to be pretty simple now. And by the way, when he's going to have a night, we've seen Kevin Durant back away and let guys have nights. He's been great with that. He was great in Brooklyn. He was phenomenal in Golden State. Letting someone cook next to him and not caring a bit about it. Durant's been that kind of teammate from day one. So for all the people that think that Beal doesn't fit, I, I, don't, I don't agree on paper. Now, he's got to play ball. I mean, he's got to settle into a situation that he hasn't had to be in. But I put money on Kevin Durant figuring that out before, for everybody else, you know, ahead of a many, many guys. Maybe, maybe the best. You know, if LeBron is the worst at this, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of iterations of five-man rosters come to come around LeBron and just implode because it's extremely hard to play with LeBron. There's no question about that. Uh, Durant may be the polar opposite of that. And... That's why I'm staying positive with this one. Now, the one thing I'll say, and you know, the money is the money. The owners got it. Devin Booker really took a step forward last year. Like top five MVP, legit MVP candidacy, right? It was a, it was a Jason Tatum two years ago type move from him where things started to unlock that we were waiting for and they finally did. And, and there's a world where Durant did that for him. I just want to make sure Beal doesn't get in the way of that because it seems like Booker's on a trajectory to go way, way higher, like maybe to the top, like win an MVP type player. So if this torpedoes that, 
obviously that's a shame. But if it complements it and it becomes another boost so that this becomes Booker's team and Durant and Beal are complementary pieces, and that's a, not a knock on Durant. Durant is injury prone and aging. It's just what's happening here. That really is a super team, a super offensive team. And I'm here for it. Again, it may not work for, for year one, but in my opinion, this is a two-year plan. All things, all things in. No matter what you get for Aiton, even if you have to keep Aiton, again, it's not our money and he's got it. Trust me. I get this. I really do get this. Um, so Keith Smith, I think, s says most of that as well. He stayed fairly positive from Phoenix's side. He didn't take the, I don't understand Washington's timing approach that I did. He stayed more mechanical with this. So if you want to understand what this actually means for the next couple of years of Washington, because we can't go back and change last year, right? <laughs> I can complain about it, but we can't change it. So they're shedding money. That's a fact. Kuzma may stay and then opt out. Kuzma may demand a trade. Perzingis may opt in for the $36 million. He may not now. This, this, this trade may mean I'm going to opt out, try to get a multi-year deal, and then go from there. But uh, we'll see what we have to do here. I don't think Washington's done. And by the way, either is this trade. Not yet official. When it becomes official and there's more pieces or less pieces or more teams and all that, Keith's going to update this same piece. We'll have him on. We'll have him talk about all the actual officially confirmed details and what it means. But uh, nothing like his breakdown right now on the internet. There really isn't. And uh, again, that nugget about Chris Paul's increase in, in full guarantees the second this thing is confirmed, not being said enough. And it's a big deal, especially if they have to buy him out at $25 million. That's, that's a big deal, right? It's a big deal for a team that's looking to shed money right now. Okay. Who else? Who's next? I'm not going to go hot stove on you. I promise. All right. These are all names that have been floated. And uh, here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you five star candidates that at least are in the conversation right now. Then I'm going to give you five contracts that I think should be sold, right? So five actual trades. We want that player because he makes us better. And then five players that the team is looking at the contract saying, I got to get this off our books right now for, for whatever. Even if I got to send a pick with it, I'm getting this off the books. We see this in the NBA more than any other league in the world. Okay, it happens every offseason, multiple times. I've got five names here. Let's start with the superstars. I'm going to start with Dame because I still think he's the best name on this list. He's not the youngest. He's almost 33 years old. And there's four years, $216 million left on that contract. But he is the kind of guy where you drop him in the right situation. And I don't think you need to wait a year. You know, especially after what we saw at the end of last year. He fully recovered from whatever the hell happened a year and a half ago. He looked the part. He just didn't have the team around him. I think if, and by the way, when Portland did not get a top two pick in this draft, this conversation escalated. You know, were they getting Victor and Scoot? I don't know that we're having this conversation. I think Dame is publicly saying, I'm here for this because those guys can help us contribute right now. I'm not sure three through 25, you know, certainly number three is going to be that type of player. And if that means, you know, last year's couple of picks and this number three pick now become a rebuild process in Portland, you're going to hear Dame quiet down a little bit. And when he gets quiet, it means there's real things happening behind the scenes. That's just how this is going to work. He's not going to go out there and, and publicly say, get me out of Portland. I don't think he'll ever say it because he's too indebted to that franchise, to that city, to that organization. But if it gets quiet, 
probably means something's brewing. And I do think there's a chance that happens right now. Miami's in. Um, the Knicks, I don't know if they have the ammo or if they have to give up too much, but certainly that conversation is going to be had. And the Nets might be the best approach here to send good quality talent back that could rise up with some draft picks and just start doing their things. You know, I don't think Bridges is in that conversation, but there are players that came over from Phoenix, players that have been acquired from elsewhere, from Cleveland, that I think could become a good package back to match Dame's salary with a couple of picks, make it look something somewhat comparable to what Donovan Mitchell did in Cleveland this past offseason. And uh, that's what it would take. Miami would have to send a, probably a player or two they don't want, not just Kyle Lowry. Um, but I do think those two franchises have the best chance to land Dame Litter. And look, Jimmy Butler and Dame with Bam, even if they have to give up their depth, which I think they'd have to do, you become that three-pronged animal that we've just talked about, right? Maybe not to the degree of what Phoenix just did, but maybe a more complimentary approach to it. And uh, I'm in on that one. If Brooklyn's a one, Miami's a 1A for this move for me. And it's from a roster construction standpoint, it has nothing to do with the city and the culture and all that stuff. It's simply dropping Dame in and seeing what, what happens immediately speaking because this guy's running out of time, right? Four years left in the contract, but you know what happens at 33 plus with one injury. It's just a, a downwards spiral at that point in time. Speaking of which, uh, the Zion stuff's for real. I know there's a lot of agents speak out there. There's a lot of teams out there. There's no question that New Orleans has not floated a tweet or two out there and said, look, start getting it out. Start generating the buzz because we want everybody in the world calling about this guy. We're done. We're ready to move on. We're ready to get a draft pick and start this process over. And the more smart people I listen to and read, the more I, I think this is going to happen by draft time for one of these picks, whether it's Charlotte at number two, whether it's something, something down the line. Uh, I think this is in the cards right now. Now, there's five years, 194 million remaining. We're starting to, I'll be candid with you, even with Keith on board and all the great insight we're able to get, the agent team have locked down the official details on this Zion contract for obvious reasons, right? There's probably a hell of a lot of if this, if this, if this, if this. We know there's a weight clause. He's got to stay under 295 or basically forfeits the late guarantees. I think there's a games plays played clause as well. And the rumor is that he has already missed enough games this first season to do something with the back end of this contract. So in my opinion, the way I'm reading the tea leaves, not all 194 of this is fully guaranteed. Now, maybe that's just three, four seasons, maybe not the fifth. I don't know where we are now, but it seems like it's a less, it's lessened the load a little bit, no pun intended. And that should help. That should help in these trade talks. Any, every little bit matters. And if we're talking about 30 million and change coming off in guarantees, which just from an estimation standpoint could be about right, that's going to help this process because all teams want is a couple of years where he's at least a 60 game player doing what he did that took New Orleans to the number two seed for much of last season, just last season, right? When he was healthy, they were a dominant franchise. They were mowing down people because he's that transcendent. So you're going to have teams in and it's not just going to be bad teams, right? It's not going to just going to be Charlotte and Houston and some of those teams, although those two, those are very good candidates. I think you're going to see some real teams 
go after, at least consider this for the right price. So I don't think this is just hearsay. This isn't just Twitter speak. It's draft week. Things are going to happen. New Orleans probably wants to flip this for a real pick and give themselves a chance to at least hit lightning again in the draft and get cheaper with it. And uh, this name is not going to go away until it has to go away. Speaking of which, I, I do think it's time for Trey Young to be traded. Um, I really like the player. I think he has been embedded in Atlanta too much to the point of where he can no longer blossom or grow. And he's very inconsistent still. He's young. There's four years, $177 million left on that extension. It's, it's a lot, but we've seen a lot worse, right? There's a lot worse out there right now. So it's not an untenable contract for the kind of production you're going to get from that. I just think a change of scenery makes sense. Um, would it work for Atlanta and New Orleans just to move these two young players together? I don't know. Um, I don't think that helps with the draft stuff unless we're swapping draft picks and things like that. But it seems like these two players are sort of in the same boat. Trey not having the injury issues, maybe it's just an inconsistency of play issue. Zion obviously can't stay on the floor, can't stay in shape, yada, yada. But pound for pound, I, I put these two players sort of in the same category. And there's similar money in terms of guarantee remaining as well. So I, I, I think it makes sense. I don't think Atlanta pulls the trigger just yet. Uh, maybe that's a John Collins move coming up soon. But I do think Trey Young should be in this conversation right now as many teams look to flip their guards right now, right? Jalen Brown's next. That's a big wing. This was going to be the conversation ever since the end of that postseason when he basically just flamed out, unfortunately, and uh, left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And now he's eligible for five for 295 in the Supermax because of the LNBA designation. So it's a lot of bad if you're thinking about money, if you're thinking about what you saw on the court. But this guy's still an upper echelon player, obviously, second team LNBA. You know, there's enough people out there that think this guy is great and good enough and complimentary to a B, you know, a B to an A, all the things that you like to hear when it's time for contract and or trade negotiations. There are teams that want this right now. There's no question about it. It simply does Boston want to give up. And my assumption, and I think it's been confirmed by other people, is that they don't want to give anything up. I think they want to run this thing back and just get it right and just play top basketball and make sure things bounce the right way, and, and hopefully a little bit of luck gets them to the finish line. They think they have the right roster. So I don't think this trade is happening at all. But to me, the only way that this gets done is if Jalen Brown wants it to. And that's not inconceivable, because I'm sure he's still taking a hell of a lot of crap for how bad that postseason was, certainly down the stretch. And he's taken crap before. He's sort of been the uh, that guy that's sort of had everything you know put on top of him. So I don't know where we're going here. Do I think Jalen Brown sees another franchise as a better option for him? Probably not. I believe you know the Tatum Brown role is as good as he can get out there right now. Tatum's going to be a top five player again next year. So I think staying is his best approach. But we have no idea what, it, what it's like right now. You know, if that locker room is confident in him, certainly if the fan base is going to come back around. But to me, Boston doesn't want to move this at all. But does Jalen Brown want to stay? He's going to sign the extension because you don't say no to $300 million. 
But how long after that are these conversations coming back up? So he's here because he belongs here. But I don't. I have very little confidence that a trade for Jalen Brown actually happens this summer. Carl Anthony Towns has been vocal, <laughs> to, to be put it nicely. And Minnesota's been aggressive. And they're not bad. Right? This current iteration has shown signs that it can work. But can it work for a full season and then into a postseason? I don't believe so. I don't think the way this team is constructed is built for any kind of length in terms of the season. The Rudy Gobert trade is done. We can't take it back. They can't take it back. All right? They gave up the world to get him in here. And he's a one-trick pony. But they knew what they were signing up for. They thought that this Twin Tower situation was going to work out. And to be quite frankly... You know, and, and he said it out loud. Carl Anthony Towns does not want to be standing next to Rudy Gobert doing the opposite of what he does. He wants to be a seven-foot guard. And I just don't think that works in this team. And if anything, it is suppressing Anthony Edwards' ability to become a true superstar, something we should have seen happen last year, and it didn't happen. Some of it's on him. I think a lot of it's on roster construction, and I believe that. Carl Anthony Towns has five years and $260 million left, <laughs> all right? So this is a huge conversation. It would be one of the, if not the largest contract ever traded in the NBA in terms of what's remaining on it, fully guaranteed. I don't know how many teams out there would, would raise their hand for him on half of this contract. So I'm not saying this is likely or possible or plausible, but with that, that amount of money for a player who I think is is going against what a lot of coaches would try to make him, right? It feels a little Anthony Davis-ish where everybody said, you got to be that guy in the middle and work off of that and work off of a pick and roll. And yet, Carl Anthony Towns sits outside the three-point line 30% of his, his possessions. It's not a bad thing. He makes a lot of them. But I don't think that's what coaching staffs are looking for out of that player right now. So it's a weird fit. It's been a weird fit where he is. He's had some injury issues, but there's a boatload of money left. I can't imagine Minnesota is going to sign up for all of it. So if it's not this offseason, how, how long is the leash? How long is the Gobert, Edwards, Cat leash going to be before they realize we got to break one of these things up and it's not going to be Edwards and, and try something else, right? And the reason I bring him into this conversation right now, even though it's probably not likely, is we do have other fish. We have big fish right now on the trade block, legitimate ones that could replace him with a change of pace, change of scenery, change of role that could make Minnesota even a better team going forward here, right? Zion's probably too much of a risk to take on. But, you know, what about a Pascal Siakam? Who I believe is legitimately going to move now because they're about to lose Fred Van Vliet in free agency, possibly via sign and trade. They've already given up on Lowry. OJ Ananobi is back on the block for the, what, 30th consecutive month. He's on a nice deal that should get moved, but won't bring a hell of a lot back. The window slammed shut. You know, we, we know what they are. They've lost three starters now. DeRozan, obviously, a couple years prior to that. They've lost three or four starters here now that were part of that major window of contention. It's slamming shut right in front of our eyes. They know it. So moving Siakam makes a hell of a lot of sense, especially if, right, you're talking about a draft pick coming back and restarting that rebuild process immediately on the fly. I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns is somebody you build a team around, you know, with Scotty Barnes, but it wouldn't be the worst move a franchise has made. 
right? You got a player under, under a contract for a long time. Yes, it's an overpay, but you give him the ability to, to be his own entity. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what Toronto could use right now. So big names. There's a, there's some big names for you on this block, at least potentially on this block with a hell of a lot of money to come with them. How about contracts that have to go? Jordan pulls the top of this list just because it's the most money. It's four for 128. Obviously, he didn't have the basketball year he thought he was going to have last year or Golden State thought he was going to have, and he was completely a non-factor, like benchable down the stretch in the postseason. So there's an issue. There's clearly an issue. And for all intents and purposes, you know, the Curry, Thompson, Draymond Green trio is coming back in some capacity. You know, Clay will be on an expiring one for 40. My guess is Draymond opts out and then signs a multi-year extension. They don't need to keep him for three years if it's a three-year contract, right? They can trade him after one, after Clay's gone and the Curry stuff is, you know, winding down a little bit. But I think for 23-24, these three are back. So if that's the case, Jordan Poole probably goes, right? And he's attractive. He's still attractive because of the age and whatnot and his abilities from two years ago. So San Antonio is the Houston. Somebody's going to pull on this and try to bring him in and make him a player. Maybe the, maybe the teams that miss out on Austin Reeves in terms of an offer sheet, can we get this to work? It's possible. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, obviously now, three years, $102 million left on this contract. Uh, it was a maybe contract when it was signed. Phoenix sort of limped into it, matched the offer sheet from Indiana. I think there's somebody out there, right? The, the, the blurb I have right now on the notes in front of me is the NBA has consistently said nobody is untradeable. Year after year, I'll, I'll sit here on the microphone and say, who's going to take that contract? It's why I didn't say it with Carl Anthony Towns, right? Five for 260 for Cat. I can't say nobody wouldn't take that because the NBA shows us every single year that there's no contract, even, even an injured John Wall contract, right? Got traded, traded twice. It's just the way this works in this league. Money's got to move. Money's got to move. Now, maybe the super tax apron stuff will stop that and teams will stop buying bad contracts just to do it and acquire draft picks. But I don't think so. I think, I think that might even ramp up, right? Teams will, will carry cap space to be able to be that kind of basket to catch a team that's trying to get under, trying to get healthier from a tax perspective. Well, that's Aiden right now, all right? Aiden's not helping much on the court. There's 102 million left. They need some depth. They need to turn his contract into two or three players. Somebody's gonna bite. Somebody's gonna bite. It might not be this summer. They might have to carry that contract to the deadline or somewhere around there, but somebody will eventually bite on DeAndre Aiden. I'm, I'm confident because this is the NBA and those kind of things just happen. I mentioned John Collins. I don't know. I, again, it felt like Aiden, right? They, they didn't want to sign him. They thought somebody would come in with an offer sheet and, and snatch him away at a good price. None of it happened. They had to sign him. It's a year in now. There's three years, 78 million left, which, which isn't, you know, astronomical. But can they find another bad contract just to move on from? Maybe, you know, maybe. I, I don't think Aiden's that player, but... You want to tell me it's Aiton for Collins and somebody else? I, I think Phoenix might sign up for that. Save a little bit on the tax. Still paying a decent amount of money, but um, getting a player with some kind of pedigree, some kind of experience to do some dirty work in the paint. It's not the worst situation out there, but to me, that's a contract that has to move. Atlanta's just got to get out of this thing. They should have got out of it before they even signed it. It didn't happen. They're here. It's time. They got to purge somewhere on that roster. Uh, ben Simmons. Obviously, an annual tradition like no other. Brooklyn's going places. 
All right. They acquired a farm from Phoenix. Sort of made it work, right, to some degree. It's just not there from a consistency. They don't have the five-man rotation they need right now. So they're going to have to subtract to add a little bit here. Whenever they subtract to whoever it is, Ben Simmons needs to be in that deal. Now, they're going to have to send a pick with them to get the two years, $78 million out the door. But it has to happen. All right. There, there just isn't going to be a world where they get themselves to a place that they can contend in the East with Ben Simmons on that bench. It, it's not going to happen. All right. The, the financial rules don't, won't allow for it anymore. They shouldn't want to pay this money anymore. It should just be effective. We have enough picks. We have a bit of a surplus now. We've acquired some things. Let's get this guy out the door for one of those picks and get going with our lives. It just has to happen. This is the summer for it. Last one's a bit of a hot take. Uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are each on two-year, $94 million contracts. Each have their injury histories. I mean, just a, a pile of injury history, right? And it just hasn't worked. You know, injuries are part of it. I, there's some construction around them that they, that can be blamed. I, I just think it's time for one of these players to go. Cut your losses in half. Truly, cut your losses in half. Get something back for Paul George. Get something back for, you know, the ghost of Kawhi Leonard, whatever that's going to be. Sign Chris Paul when he gets waived and and go from there. I, I think that's what, how this all works out. You know, I really do think that's how it works out. It makes zero sense logical sense to keep both of these players on two years, a hundred and what? $90 million. That makes no sense because you know what you're getting. You're getting less than a full season out of both of them combined. It's just a fact. So cut your loss. Keep one of these players. hope you pick the right one who stays healthy, bring in a, you know, a Brooklyn Nets type slew of players around him and hope you have enough ammo to get this thing to the finish line and just become a, a playoff contender. That's all. That's all you're looking for right now. You know, the idea of bringing these two players together and having a three-year stretch where you're winning the West, those are, those are dead. We're gone. So one of these two players needs to go just to restart this process slowly. I think it's inconceivable to think you can move both. I don't think they would move both. They're not going to move either because <laughs> this is the Clippers. They're going to try to fix this problem with addition, not subtraction. But I wanted to get on the record saying, from a money standpoint, one of these contracts should go this offseason, this summer. And uh, I do think George has a little bit of value out there. So if, if he's the one, he should be the one. All right. Those are five NBA contracts I think should move or at least be sold over the next couple of weeks as we approach that July 1st. League year start. Again, Keith Smith's piece on spotrate.com is outstanding. It's going to be updated the more we know. And as closer things get things get to becoming fully confirmed, again, this is all a TBD situation. But Phoenix is a power financial roster right now. And even when they trade Aiden at some point in time, they're going to bring back another 30 million. So yes, there'll be some flexing, some flexibility, some movement up and down. But in my opinion, on July, on June 19th, right? We're get, we've got a, basically a calendar year before the tax stuff actually kicks in. They're going to be a super tax team. They're going to be our first super tax team, uh, Golden State notwithstanding. They're going to be right there at the top of this thing. So um, we're off to a rambunctious start, as always, with the NBA offseason. Never disappoints. It's the middle of June, and we're already talking big, big numbers and big, big names. And uh, like I said, it's draft week. So 
more of these big names are going to be talked about seriously, and I think one or two of them get moved for a significant pick over the next couple of days. We'll keep you posted on that. More on SpotTrack.com. My NFL movement series continues with wide receivers. Keith has just launched the New York Knicks offseason preview. Again, a team that could be in on one of these superstar trades. I'll make sure we get a Chris Paul piece coming soon from Keith because I think his career has been fascinating as hell. And I want to dive in more to this guaranteed situation, what that buyout might look like if they can't move him. I think they can move him and flip him a little bit here, but we'll see. And, uh, and more to come after that. Plenty more to get to. Baseball is uh, approaching its trade deadline. Cousin Dan and I had a discussion last week on the Spot Trek podcast if you missed it. And uh, we'll be rounding back into form as things get closer to that as well. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.